Jesus comes. Holy Spirit, come have your way. Lock us in tonight. Let there be such an anointing, such a glory, that every person is captivated to give you their best ear and their full attention. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, if everybody has notes where you can look along, you know, go over these scriptures with me. I encourage you to take these notes home. Study them over this next week. All right, I'm going to talk to you about something real important tonight, okay? I'm going to talk to you about, I entitled this Picture Perfect, but how you see yourself, how you see others, how you see God. It's very important. See, God has made us three but one. So let me explain that. We're body, soul, and spirit. Your body is your outer shell, okay? And it communicates like this. Your body sees, hears, smells, tastes, and touches. The five senses, that's your physical body. This is the part of you where your sinful nature is because when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they sinned with their body and sin came into their body and it is passed down to us today. So this is what the Bible is talking about when it says your flesh. It says we're not to live according to the flesh. We're to live according to the spirit. So this is your flesh, your outer body. This part of you is under a curse because of sin. It's going to die eventually. Your body is aging. And one day your body not only will die, but it will go into the ground and it will go back to the earth from where it came. That's your body. This body as you know it is not eternal. This body is going to perish. Alright, but God's, those that are Christians, in the end you'll be given a glorified body. Okay, But I'm going to go into this now about the soul. The soul area is the part of you that makes up who you are. It's your personality. Your soul area is your mind. It's the part of you that imagines things. For example, close your eyes for a second. Red apple. Everybody just saw red apple. Okay, That's your soul. Okay, That's your imagination. Your soul area is the part of you that when you were in school... And you're about, you know, six, seven years old. And the teacher got up there and said, two plus two equals four. And you said, okay, I get that. Now, that's your, that's your mind. That's your soul. Your soul is the part of you that not only imagines and thinks, but it's also the part of you where you remember things. And your soul is, is basically like a computer that picks up information around you and processes it in your mind. Okay? So you have an outer physical body, and then you have a soul. The third part of you is your spirit man. Your spirit man is it's just like your physical body, but it's a spirit body in you. Your spirit, again, it's just like your physical body, so your spirit man can see with your spiritual eyes, can hear with your spiritual ears, the Bible says, taste and see the Lord is good. There's a tasting aspect. But your spirit is your innermost being. That's the part of you where the Holy Spirit lives. The Bible talks about Proverbs, the candle of the Lord is lit. This is the part of you that's born again. Did everybody get that? See, when Jesus, when you accept Christ as your Savior and you realize, I, I'm a sinner, I'm on my way to hell. I've got to accept Christ and His blood will make me clean and you accept what He did for you on the cross, and you're born again, the part of you that's born again is your spirit. It's not your body. It's not your soul. It's your spirit. So your spirit man, deep down inside of you, that spirit now has the Holy Spirit living in there. And the, the DNA of Jesus Christ, that DNA, that spiritual DNA, has come in now to your spirit. And your spirit is now alive in God because the Holy Spirit lives in you. So here's how it works. Your spirit, deep down in you, because the Holy Spirit lives in your spirit, your spirit is hungry for the things of God. But your flesh, your physical body that you inherited from Adam, that part of you is hungry for sin. So your whole life, you're going to be battling between the spirit and the flesh. A lot of the way you're going to win this battle has to do with that middle ground there of the soul. Because what you think about, what you imagine, what you dwell on in your mind, 
will dictate a lot of the course of your life. So here you are, you're now a born again Christian. I hope everybody is that's listening to me. You're born again, the Spirit of God is in you. And so deep down in you, you're hungry for the things of God. You're sincere about the things of God. But your physical body has that sinful nature, and that doesn't just go away, okay? It's not like you can come down to church one day and get prayer, and that just is gone. You're just delivered of your flesh. That doesn't work. You're going you're gonna to carry this thing. So your spirit's hungry for God. Your flesh is hungry for things that are not of God. The middle man, the soul, is the part of you that as you learn to renew your mind and to be disciplined in your soul area, you will become more and more victorious over time. And more and more and more, you will learn what it means to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the way this battle is won is this. Used to, your soul area, that's also your emotions, when you were a sinner, you would blow up in a rage, you would lose your temper, you, you would get angry, you'd say hurtful things, maybe hit somebody. And then now that you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit in you is convicting you and saying, quit doing that. And so now you say, Jesus, I'm sorry, forgive me. Lord, I've been letting my emotions get out of control. They need to be disciplined and under control. Forgive me, Lord. Help me. And now the Holy Spirit, living inside your spirit, begins to give you strength in your emotions. And now you can bring that under control. Used to, before you were a Christian, if you wanted to look you know, with lust on somebody, you did it all the time. But now that you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit convicts you in your spirit and says that sin... Jesus says that's adultery, that's sin. Quit doing it. So you say, Jesus, forgive me for looking with lust on people. Help me to change. And now the Holy Spirit gives strength to you and helps you to quit doing that. Used to, before you were a Christian, your mind would entertain all kinds of evil thoughts. Maybe people that had burned you, betrayed you, you know, whatever it was in your past, maybe they were friends that knifed you in the back and you found it that you were constantly thinking about these things in your mind. But now the Holy Spirit in your spirit says, forgive them and let it go. And so now you pray, Jesus, forgive me, Lord, for, for being bitter. I, for, I choose to forgive those people. Now help me to quit thinking on that. I'm going to quit meditating on the wrong they did to me. I'm going to forget about it now. And move on with my life. Used to, before you were saved, your mind may entertain thoughts that shouldn't about other things. But now that you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit will help you to renew your mind. Now this is huge. Because the Bible equates it to this. All of you can relate because at some time in your life you've seen a caterpillar and a butterfly. Okay, In Romans 12 it says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Transformed is a Greek word, metamorpho. It's where we get metamorphosis. Now, here's what it means. The difference between a caterpillar metamorphosizing into a butterfly, your life can be so radically transformed by renewing your mind that you will go from being like a spiritual caterpillar to a spiritual butterfly. That's a big change. But it all has to do with the renewing of your mind. You used to entertain fearful thoughts. You used to entertain prideful, arrogant thoughts. You used to entertain rebellious thoughts. Now, you're disciplining your mind to where when these thoughts come into your mind, you take and throw it out like a piece of garbage. You say, I'm not going to keep thinking about that. I'm not going to let myself get out of control anymore, lose my temper or whatever. I'm going to bring this thing under control. And the Holy Spirit will help give you the strength to do that. Now, at first, it's going to seem really hard. Because for a long time, maybe you've let it go. Just like, for example, any of you that's ever played sports of any kind, if you sit around on the couch and you watch the TV and you eat your potato chips, over time, you're going to get soft. Okay, And you get out there and you start to play sports now. And all of a sudden, you find that the things that you used to be able to do, you can't do it all. You're winded. You're tired. And now you've got to condition yourself again. 
to some of you hear me preaching like you say okay i'm gonna do this and at first it seems really hard because it's like working out you're having to strengthen that muscle of your mind a renewed mind that transforms your whole life is a disciplined mind so now you begin to discipline your mind that I'm not just going to think about anything. I'm going to think on what? What God wants me to think on. Things that are pure, things that please the Lord. Now I'm going to start moving into this. Why is this so important? Because the Bible says, as you think, so you are. So what you think about all the time makes up who you really are. And not only that, but what people think about all the time is going to come out of their mouth. The Bible says that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever you're thinking about all the time, it gets down in you and then you say it. Now, why is that a big deal? Because I'm telling you this, it's a scriptural principle fact that what you believe in your heart and you speak out of your mouth, you're going to see it. And that can be horrible. If you believe fear, you believe that if something could go wrong, it's going to go wrong. You have this mentality of fear and defeat and you really believe that in your heart and you speak it out of your mouth. That's exactly what you're going to have. But if you think about what the Bible says and you speak that, then your life is going to start turning that direction. But see, the way you think and the way you speak turns the rudder of your life. It's in the Bible in James chapter 4, I believe, where it talks about that your tongue is a rudder of a ship and it turned that little bitty rudder turns that ship where it'll go so your mouth has the power of life and death in it that what you keep talking about is what's going to happen so that's why i'm going with this god is wanting the the picture of our in our mind the picture of the way we see ourselves the way we see others the way we see god to line up with his word I'm going to give you a couple stories and explain some things. Now imagine King David, he's out in the field doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's watching the sheep. Now we know the story. He's honoring his father by watching the sheep. He's out there worshiping and praying. He's a man of prayer, playing his little harp, singing his songs, whatever he did. And as he's out there, he's got all these sheep he's responsible for, and he's out there by himself, and he's not a big guy. This isn't like, you know some muscle-bound wrestler that's out there with bulging muscles, this huge, massive guy. It's not like that. David was this normal little guy. And all of a sudden, one day, this bear shows up to eat the sheep. Now, I don't know about any of you, but personally to me, you know, when a bear, like a big grizzly bear, stands up, I mean, it's like, there they are. And they're like 10 times as strong as you. And people that's been attacked by bears says it really felt like they were just a total rag doll. That this thing was just throwing them around, throwing them, you know, anywhere they wanted to go. That's how strong they are. Now David's out there by himself. And it's not like he had his cell phone and he had called 911 and told him the ambulance to be there. It wasn't like that. He's out there by himself. And this bear comes and he attacks the bear and kills him. Okay? God gave him the victory. Then a lion came. Same type of thing. The lion is huge, easily could kill David, no doubt about it, but God gave him the victory, he killed the lion. Now David was out there and Samuel called for him. Samuel was the man of God of that time. What God was doing in the earth, he was doing through the prophet Samuel, who was also the last judge of Israel. He was the one that moved things from being the judges into the kings. He anointed King Saul, and now he's about to anoint King David. Brings David in, pours the oil over David, anoints him king of Israel. It's set in motion. Now David's still just this little guy. But the Bible says from that moment on, when the man of God anointed him, that the Spirit of God came upon him in power. So David goes back home. His dad tells him, listen, your brothers are out fighting for Israel. I want you to take them some homemade cheese, some goat cheese probably. Take them some goat cheese, okay? Take them some other stuff. I don't remember what all it was. So he's sitting there. He's carrying all this stuff. He's got his goat cheese and all this. He's going there. And his brothers, they're all cowered down 
And there's this huge... How many of you guys know, you just have to know that Goliath was an ugly guy? You know what I'm saying? He just was. I mean, it doesn't really say that in the Bible, but we all know he was ugly. And he's this huge guy, and he's ugly. And he's out there, and he's yelling at the people of God who were, they were all cowered down. Now, what's really wrong with this picture, if you're David and you got the big backpack full of cheese, is that you're walking up and you're seeing there's this one guy. Now, granted, he's huge and ugly, but it's one guy, and then you've got Israel's whole army cowering down. So David's walking up with his goat cheese or whatever it was, and he's carrying it like this, and he's probably looking at this going, you know, there's something wrong here, because even as big and ugly as he is, if all of you jumped him at one time, you know. So David's walking in on this scene, and to make a long story short, he spoke out and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he is defying the armies of God like this? His brothers got mad at him, but make a long story even shorter. He goes before King Saul, and what does he say? He says this to King Saul, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. So what David did was what I'm trying to teach you about today. He remembered, he used his mind, his memory, to go back and remember the victories of the past. While all these other warriors were hiding, they were cowered down, David was probably one of the littler and younger ones. And here he was and he says, look, God gave me the victory over the bear. I was out there by myself. And there's no doubt that David prayed when the bear showed up. We all know. He was down there. He was playing his harp real fast. You know, he's praying now. He's serious. He's getting serious in prayer. And God gave him the victory over the bear. The lion comes. Same thing. And now David says, listen, King Saul. God gave me the victory over the lion and the bear. And I remember that he did. I remember he was with me. And now God's going to give me victory over this. What you've got to learn to do with your mind is you've got to let your mind and your soul area work for you, not against you. Some people, they come up against some kind of a Goliath and their mind works against them because they're automatically thinking about failure, defeat. I'm dead. It's over. You know, everything's going downhill now. And they just have this total fear mentality and you laugh, but you'd be surprised how many, how many people out there live like that. Every time there's a mountain, every time there's a financial attack of the devil, every time there's an attack against their health, whatever, in life, relationships, they lose a job or whatever, the first thing they do is just want to give up. I don't understand what's going on. I, you know, And they just panic. They're in total fear. All they see is, is failure. And every, you know, the ship's sinking. I'm going down. Life is over now. And that's just the mentality. But if they would learn to remember the wonders of the Lord. If they would learn to think back in their mind to the last time they had a problem and God gave them some kind of a victory and they would remember that and they would say, wait a second, God was with me when I faced previous attacks of the devil. He's going to be with me now and give me victory now because he's given me victory before. You see what I'm saying? And it causes faith to begin to arise within you. And the thing about a sermon like this is it's got to be put into practice. All of us have heard a lot of good sermons over the years. A lot of things that we listened to and thought, man, you know, that would really help me. But we can't just be a hearer of the word. We have to be a doer. So when you leave out of here, you got to say, okay, Lord, now I'm going to change this. I'm going to start to do it. I'm going to apply this to my life. I'm going to make myself think different. I'm going to force my mind to meditate on what the Bible says. And I'm going to force myself to begin to think on positive things. And let me tell you, whenever you start living like that, your whole life's going to change. It's a total transformation for you. And let me give you some examples. You know, there's people in life, I could set out a glass of water that's half empty or half full. And there's people in life, you know it, I know it, that no matter what it is, they see the glass half empty in life. That's just the way they think. They're negative. They're negative people. They complain when when things, they, they're just always negative. And because of that, they have a negative mentality, they speak negative, and their life continues to be negative. So when I say this here in a moment, you have a choice. 
you have a choice between having a blessed or a cursed mentality. And what I mean is this, a blessed mentality is you see yourself, the way you think about yourself is that I am blessed of the Lord. And that means my finances are blessed. That means my health is blessed. My life is blessed. When I go in here to buy this house, I'm blessed going in and I'll be blessed coming back out. When I go to apply for this job, I'm going to be blessed going in or blessed coming out. But what a cursed mentality is, is people that think in their minds that if something's going to go wrong, it'll go wrong. And they always think they have this mentality like there's some kind of a dark cloud and a gloom. It's on the horizon and at any given moment, it's about to manifest in my life. Things have been going too good for too long. Surely something bad is about to happen in life. <laughs> That's the way some people think, and you know it, and I know it, and you can probably name people right now in your mind. But that cursed mentality is a horrible mentality because the what you think and what you speak is what you have. So people that think things have been going good here for a little while, so something bad is about to happen and they think that and they speak that and sure enough, something bad's about to happen. You've got to have a blessed mentality, not a cursed mentality. You've got to see yourself blessed. Is this helping anybody? You have to have a victorious mentality. Did King David have a defeat mentality facing Goliath? Was he back there and his little knees were knocking together? And he's got his slingshot and it's, hung, it's hanging down real low. And he's just looking at Goliath going, I'm about to die right now. This is the, and he goes to his brothers and says, listen guys, just go ahead and tell dad to get the funeral ready. I'm about to bum rush this guy, but I'm a dead man. Okay. No, he had a victorious mentality that whenever he walked out of there, he took that slingshot and he, the Bible says that he ran at Goliath. So you can just imagine Goliath sitting there. Big, stinky, and ugly. And that's the way I picture the man. He was big, he was ugly, and he stunk. Probably. And here he was, he's yelling out, and he's defying the people of God. And for a long time, he's been watching all these warriors sitting there, like wimps and sissies, hiding. And all of a sudden, the little guy, okay, <laughs> the little one wants to run at him, and he's running at Goliath, and he's, he's, you know, flinging that slingshot, and Goliath was starting to mock him. But what he didn't know was, was that God was about to make sure that rock hit him right there. And David, David killed him. It was really the Lord that killed him. Can't you imagine David flung that rock, but there was probably an angel about halfway between him and Goliath. They got behind that rock and just flicked it and made it go that much faster. And David took Goliath's sword and cut off his head. So David took Goliath's own sword and cut off his head. And then took that big ugly head. How many of you guys think that head was probably about like that big? Like a pumpkin. Okay. Carried that big ugly thing back into the camp. And whenever they saw it, all of them jumped up and ran at the enemy. Listen, we've got to have a victorious mentality. Anytime that the enemy is about to show up, God has maybe revealed to you that you're going to face some spiritual warfare. Something comes up in life. Something comes out of left field. You don't want to go off into a dark room and start thinking, we're all dead now. The ship's going down. We're doomed. That's, that's just going to breed defeat. And no doubt that that probably will happen if you believe that in your heart and keep speaking that. But if you'll have a victorious mentality that says, regardless of whatever the devil throws against me, the Bible says, if God is for me, who can be against me? So meaning that all God has to do is just in a moment, just snap his fingers, in a moment, your entire life is turned down a different course. Things were horrible for a couple days. All of a sudden, things were horrible for a couple months. But you had a victorious mentality. And you kept standing on God's word and speaking it out, saying, Lord, I know I'm going through some challenges. But I also know that your word says you're going to bring me through. And you keep that mentality. You keep praising God. You keep thinking it. And you know what? God sees that and says, now victory. And, and it just turns the whole thing on a dime. An overcomer mentality. We have to have a mentality that whatever it is that you have been facing, God has called you to overcome that thing. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
Some people, they've battled so much in their health or their finances or they've battled a sin in their life for so long. They've been so frustrated because they feel like they take, you know, steps forward just to go back and they're frustrated. But God has called us to overcome it. And if you'll stay with the Lord, He will either teach you whatever you need to learn or He will strengthen you or He'll deliver you. You may be needing deliverance in your life, but whatever it is you need, He will give you that and you will overcome it. Meaning the thing that once weighed you down on your shoulders is going to fall off you and you're going to now step on top of it and overcome it. So God has called you to be an overcomer. That's what the Bible says about you. But most people have a, a, a slavery mentality. You know what slavery mentality is? It's somebody that cannot see themselves free. They can't see themselves free. You know, people that's been in prison for a long time, they're so used to being in a cell, they're so used to having other people think for them, that whenever they get free, it's hard for them to adjust to the life of freedom. Some people have been in spiritual bondage so long that they can't even see themselves free. Yet the Bible says that they're called to be overcomers and Jesus paid for their freedom. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. He shed his blood to destroy the power of the devil over your life. So whatever that means, if you need to be delivered of something, something you inherited, something you picked up along the way, Jesus will set you free from it. We've seen so many people set free. Jesus comes in and he just breaks the power of the devil. But you've got to believe the word of God which says that you are an overcomer. If you sit back in a service and you sit there and you've got this slavery mentality, you're thinking, yeah, everybody else can be free but me. I don't know. That's a slavery mentality. God wants you to break out of that mentality and start believing the Bible. Listen, we've seen... In, in, I know many of you have seen a lot of a lot of things and heard a lot of testimonies, but I mean the Lord is still, you know, delivering the captives, setting people free that's in darkness and, and healing the sick and raising the dead and breaking the power of the devil off people's lives. He's at work today doing that and we've seen a lot of that. The second thing is having a prosperity mentality or a poverty mentality. Some people, bless their heart, they have a poverty mentality. Whenever they go to buy something, they're always thinking they gotta get some piece of garbage. They always see themselves having less than enough struggling, barely getting along. If that's the way you see yourself and that's what you believe and that's what you speak, that's probably what you'll have. But Jesus wants us to have a prosperity mentality where you see yourself living um, a victorious life in finances and in life. I mean, just having a prosperity mentality. In other words, you see yourself having more than enough in life that you can be a blessing to other people. Not struggling all the time and needing handouts. But you see yourself being somebody that's prospering and able to be a blessing to many others. Either you're going to have a prosperity mentality or a poverty mentality. I've seen people that will sit in church and you'll preach something like that. Listen, the lights have got to come on about some of this stuff. You can see it. I remember as Basil was talking about that, he said he could see it where he'd preach and preach and pretty soon... Yes, the person was home, and now the lights were on. It's like they got it. You know, the revelation sunk in. We've got to get a revelation of what I'm talking about, where you move from a poverty mentality to a prospering mentality. Because, and this is kind of what it all is wrapped up in, faith. We have to have a faith mentality. The children of Israel did not have a faith mentality. They had a grasshopper mentality. Do you remember that? They, they were facing the land of Canaan. They sent out spies. That was not God's idea. That was their idea. They sent out spies. The spies go into the land. The spies see the Nephilim that were there. There were giants in the land like Goliath. And they were afraid. And they came back and they told the people, we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. If we go in there, we're a bunch of dead men. Everybody got afraid. But the problem was this. What happened to having faith in God instead of sitting around thinking about how inadequate you are? The battle was never theirs in the first place. And what angered the Lord 
was this. You remember how David said, I remember the lion and the bear? David said, I do remember the lion and the bear and this giant is going to be no different. The children of Israel should have said, I remember what happened in Egypt and how God destroyed Egypt, how he crippled their economy, how he drowned their army, their military in the Red Sea. I remember the wonders of Egypt and this land of Canaan is going to be no different. But instead of having a faith mentality, they had a fear and a doubt, unbelief mentality that cost them the promised land. See, all of this is wrapped up in faith. And faith is that we believe what God says, not what it looks like in the natural. Of course you're inadequate. David most likely was one of the, the youngest and smallest of the soldiers, most likely. Yet he's the one that took down the giant. Why? Because the battle really wasn't David's. The battle was the Lord's. Moses and Aaron going into Pharaoh and all of his military and everything that was accessible to Pharaoh. And you got Moses with his staff and you got Aaron. But see, the battle was never Moses taking on Pharaoh and his military. The battle was always the Lord's. Same thing with Canaan. If the children of Israel had had a faith mentality. Now how does this apply to you? It applies to this. What has God promised you? What is in front of you? What is it that you're supposed to be inheriting? Do you need a breakthrough in your life financially? Do you need a breakthrough with a job? Do you need a breakthrough with health? Do you need a breakthrough that you've been believing God for these answered prayers? Whatever it is that's in front of you, do you, does God spoken to you about a ministry, spoken to you about a destiny? All of that's in front of you. That's the land of Canaan. You're called to inherit that. But what you got to do is you got to remember the wonders of the Lord and how God has worked wonders in your past. And now you have a mentality that says, I am blessed of the Lord. I'm going to go into the same blessed. That I am victorious going in. Like David, I'm going to cut the head off of whatever giant's in front of me. That I'm an overcomer. Whatever has tried to hold me back in the past is not going to keep holding me back. It will fall off me and I'm going to step on it. That whatever has been in the past that is trying to hold me back in poverty is breaking off and I'm moving into prosperity. How you see yourself is extremely important. How you think is important. Also how you imagine others. I'm going to move quickly through this point. But how do you see other people? Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. You're supposed to see others as more important than you. So don't be critical of other people. I remember the story one time, you know, when my daughter bought her house and she went back there. In the backyard, there was a tree back there. And she thought this tree was ugly. So, Dad, cut the tree down. It's ugly. I don't know why it's there. Time passes. A new season comes. Now the tree is in full bloom. And it's a beautiful tree. Dad, I'm glad we didn't cut the tree down. It's a pretty tree. How many knows that we all, we all go through seasons in life? If somebody saw you in a negative season in your life, where you're going through spiritual warfare, you're going through trials, whatever it is that you're going through, people see you in that season and they can think, well, this person, you know, wow, can be really negative, but they don't understand that that's just a season. Now, some businessmen may go through a season where they've always been really good with money, but now they're having to file bankruptcy and having to start over. And you see somebody in that season, you think, well, they're through. But just give them some time. And they'll bounce back, start a new business, and they'll probably be doing better the second time around than they did the first. You know, whatever it is in life, God allows us to go through these negative seasons. So don't be critical of other people. Understand that everybody goes, goes through seasons and they also go through spiritual warfare. Pray, this is important, pray to see other people through Christ's eyes. And be patient with people. 
And also, don't be critical of what the Holy Spirit is doing. You don't know what God's doing in people. You know, if you're not careful, you can be critical of the move of the Holy Spirit and what He's doing. You see somebody shake, fall, whatever manifestation of the Holy Spirit's going on, whatever He's doing in church, and you, and you think, what's going on with this? And if you're not careful, you can be critical of other people and negative and critical about what the Holy Spirit is doing. Don't do that. Understand that God is moving and let God be God and let Him do what He wants to do. But how we see other people, God looks at that. You know, when you're in the ministry, people say, well, I want revival. Don't we all? At least those here. Don't we all? And those that are listening and watching this, I know deep down everybody wants revival. I'm going to tell you, when revival shows up and it's raw, you're going to see all kinds of crazy stuff going on. You can't be critical of people in situations and circumstances that come up and, and what the Holy Spirit is doing, although it may be out of the scope of your understanding. Just trust God. Another thing is the way that you see God. Let me move into this. And the way you see yourself in God. See, a lot of people, they see God, and they really do. Some of you may chuckle at this, but it's the truth. They see God like a big combat boot in the sky. Just waiting for you to mess up so that he can squish you like a bug. That's what, the way they see God, especially people. I see myself putting this water gracefully down. And the next time, picking it up gracefully. But they see God as this combat boot in the sky that's waiting to just squish them. Like some kind of a God up there that's got this lightning bolt just watching you, just waiting to zap you one. And that's not how God is. A lot of times the way that we were raised and the, way, the relationship that we've had with parents and different people formulate our view of God. Let me show you how Satan tries to attack people. Whenever Jesus began his ministry in Matthew 3.17, the Father spoke to Jesus and said, This is my Son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Now listen to what the Father spoke over Jesus. Jesus was God in the flesh, but he was here on the earth, and the Father spoke from heaven over him and said, Number one, this is my Son. Number two, whom I love. And number three, I'm well pleased with him. Those are three things. Satan wants to challenge that. So whenever Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be tested of the devil, the tempter, the devil, Matthew. Four three came to him and said this. What did he say? If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So see, Satan right there was trying to get Jesus to see himself less than what the father said he was. The father said, you are my son. The father didn't say, maybe you're my son. Or down the road, you'll be my son. The father said, you are my son now. And the devil comes along and says, well, if you are the son of God, then prove it. And turn these stones to bread. And Jesus didn't fall for that trap. Because there was multiple traps there. The first trap was to believe that, well, maybe I'm not the Son of God. That's the first trap. The second trap is to fall into the temptation of turning stones to bread when he's supposed to be fasting. So the devil tried to trick him. It didn't work. And then Mark 14, 36 Jesus said this. Jesus had overcome that attack of the devil. And Jesus said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you, what you will. But listen to what he said, Abba, Father. You are my Father. So Jesus went through the testing and the trial of the devil, trying to make him see himself less than what the Father said about him. That's a big deal. Because if Jesus had a mentality like, well, maybe I'm not the Son of God. And he had this mentality being far less than what the Father was speaking over him. He would have been susceptible to the devil's attack. I hope this is really sinking in with people. This is pretty deep. But we have to see ourselves the way the Father says we are. 
even though you don't feel like it. See, right now in your life, you may be looking at your life going, I'm just not there yet. Well, who is? But you will be. Because the Father says you will be. The Bible says you will be. The only way that you'll stay where you are in that wilderness, whatever that is, is if you believe that and you keep speaking. If you believe in your heart, I'm going to be in this wilderness. I'll never change. My life will always be like this. You really believe that? And you keep speaking that? Yes, it will. But people that say, no, I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to believe what the Bible says. And the Bible says, I may be going through something, but I'm going through it. And I'm going to come out the other side victorious. And that things may be negative now, but they're going to be positive tomorrow. And it's going to be a testimony. That's what the Bible says. And let me move quickly now to the last couple things. Our imagination in prayer. See, the way you see things is not only important about your life, the way your life is going to go, but it's also important about answered prayer. This was the most interesting story. Jacob had worked for his uncle for 14 years. His uncle tricked him into marrying Leah. Y'all know the story. He works another seven years and gets Rachel. So now he has two wives. They're, they're having children. He's got a large family. He's been working for his uncle for a long time. I mean, 14 years is a long time. And whenever he goes to leave, his uncle Laban didn't want him to leave because he said, I know that the reason why I'm blessed is because you're here. In, in other words, Laban didn't have a lot when Jacob showed up, but because of the blessing of the Lord on Jacob, everything began to prosper. And so now he used to have a small flock of sheep. Now his, his flock is huge. Well, Jacob says, I need to leave. And Laban says, please don't leave. And Jacob said, listen, I'm going to leave, but here's what I want to do. For my wages, all I'm asking is, is that you let me have the spotted and the speckled sheep and goats and that's it. Which would most likely be the minority, I'm assuming. And Laban says, that sounds good to me. But then Laban, the same guy that tricked him and snuck in the wrong wife, okay? This same guy tells his sons, hey, quick, run through the herds and take out all the speckled and spotted ones and take them off a three days journey from here. So Jacob, yeah, what an uncle. Wouldn't you like to have him? Anyway, so Jacob knows that he's doing this. And Jacob now is looking at this in DNA speaking terms, okay, there shouldn't be any more producing the speckled and spotted ones. They're all gone. And so this is what Jacob does. It's really interesting. In Genesis 30, 25 through 43, he takes these these poplar branches and he cuts off the, the outer bark so that they're streaked. And he puts them in the water trough. And whenever it was time for the sheep and... and and goats to mate, he would take them up by the water trough. And Jacob was seeing these streaked branches that were in the water, and so were the sheep and goats. And you know what? Even though they were solid colored animals, they were having spotted and speckled babies. Which, of course, was God's blessing on Jacob. But there's something about this. Jacob, whenever it was time for these to reproduce, he would put them by the water trough, and Jacob was seeing the, the streaks in those branches, and so were the animals. There's something about seeing the victory when you pray. There's just something about it. Because Jacob needed God to answer him. Jacob needed a miracle. Because when he left, and he was going to go on this long journey, he didn't need to go empty-handed. He needed some sheep to take with him. And he was seeing the streaks and sure enough, the animals were coming out like that. Let me give you another example. Abraham. God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. So you know as well as I do, every time that Abraham was about to go to bed, and whatever he did, stretching, you know, and, and he's looking up in the sky, and he sees the stars every time from the moment that God spoke to him that he looked up and saw all those stars. And he said, even though 
I'm an old man, and even though my wife may be old and barren or whatever, God said that I'm going to be the father of many nations. And then my seed would be multiplied like the stars. And so he's looking up at the stars, and he's seeing his descendants numerous. God gave him a picture. One of the things that God will do, he will help you to see the victory. I believe it's something like David whenever he's, I imagine in David's mind, automatically when he was looking at that ugly, stinky giant, he remembered back to a huge, ugly, stinky bear with some bad breath, some big claws, and he remembered killing that bear. And then he looked at Goliath and saw Goliath come down in his mind. You see what I'm saying? He remembered the bear fell at his hand. And as he remembered that, he turned and looked at Goliath. And in his mind, he saw Goliath come down. And that was the imagination there. But there's something so powerful about your imagination where God is helping you to see the victory. The children of Israel, whenever they crossed the Red Sea... God was wanting them when they stood before the Jordan, He was wanting them to remember the Red Sea party. And now they're going to see the Jordan split open. He wanted them to remember the Nile that turned to blood, all the, the plague of locusts and frogs and, and, and all the things that God had done, the hail that came down and destroyed their crops. He wanted them to remember that and then see supernatural victory in Canaan. And if they had done that, that's exactly what they would have saw. But see, you've got to see yourself blessed and victorious. That's the way you've got to think of yourself. Not out of pride, but out of what God's promises are. Because here in a moment, we're going to pray with people and God's going to really break through about some things. The blessings that were given to Abraham. Galatians 3.13 says this. God has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. He redeemed us, so the blessings given to Abraham come on us as Gentiles. So what are the blessings given to Abraham? Exaltation and promotion. Other people may be passed over, but you're being promoted. I hope you're getting this, because if you miss it, it's not going to be my fault. I'm just saying. Exaltation and promotion. That you're the head and not the tail, the top and not the bottom. That you are the one that God will promote. The second thing is divine health and long life. That you have perfect divine health and you have long life on the earth. The Bible says that none of the diseases that the Egyptians had would come on the people of God. The next thing was reproductiveness. People that are barren and they seem like they can't have children. The Bible says that God will bless the fruit of your womb and you will bring forth children. Prosperity, abundance, and wealth. These are the blessings given to Abraham. Deuteronomy 8.18, God says, I give you the power to gain wealth. Favor. Just like you see on Joseph's life, Joseph's life, there's favor that will cause all situations and circumstances and people that things turn in your favor. See, some people live a cursed life, and it's because they choose to, but it's also because maybe something's been over their life. Every time they begin to try to move forward, something's pulling them back. There can be a literal curse. But also some people, they, they believe things and they think things and they speak things that bring curses on themselves. But God wants you to see yourself exalted and promoted. That you have divine health and long life. Reproductiveness. Prosperity, abundance, and wealth. The power to gain wealth. Favor with all people in all situations. And victory over all your enemies. The awesome life of Abraham. Who with him and his family defeated four kings supernaturally. The life of David. As he defeated the giant supernaturally. God wants you to see yourself victorious. That you have a blessed mentality, a victorious mentality. So what does the Bible say? It's what we close with. 
a blessed mentality. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. So what the blessings given Abraham come on us as Gentiles. So why are we not speaking that over ourselves and thinking that over ourselves every day that we have these blessings on our lives? You should be speaking over yourself and believing that you have the blessings of exaltation and promotion, health, prosperity, favor, victory. A victorious mentality. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. An overcomer mentality. John 16, 33, I told you these things that you may have peace. In this world you may have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And not only that, but God says in, in 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphant, triumphal procession and uses us to spread everywhere the aroma and the knowledge of Him. A prosperity mentality. But you shall remember the Lord your God. He's given you the power to gain wealth and durable riches. That what God gives you is durable. It's lasting. I feel sorry for some people, honestly, in life. I've grown up in church. I've seen people in church my whole life that some of them got hold of stuff like this and they had a prosperity in life and a victory and some of them went to church week in and week out and lived the life of total defeat failure it was sad let's see it over and over in life how many are going to choose to believe and lay hold of something like this really and the last thing is a faith mentality you have to have a mentality if God is for us who can be against us in Mark 9, 23, everything is possible to him who believes. I don't want to hear anybody ever say that just because they've had failure in their past, they've made mistakes, whatever, that they cannot fulfill their destiny and be everything God's calling to be. Because my Bible says that everything is possible for him who believes. Everything. It doesn't say something, it says everything. So it doesn't matter how much you've messed up in the past, what your life has looked like in the past. The Bible says everything's possible to him who believes. So in other words, no matter how bad it's been in the past, the Lord can turn that whole thing around and make it a testimony. In Mark 11, 20, 24, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it will be yours. This is, this is what I want to close with. You're going to believe that you got it first. So a lot of people don't know about faith. Faith is that you believe first and then you see later. Most people don't live like that. Most people think I'll believe it when I see it. Faith is you pray and believe now, and you see it down the road. So you pray and believe about something now, and then you walk out of your prayer life saying, Lord, I thank you for hearing and answering my prayer. I thank you. It's done. I believe. And that's where you are with it. It's like Abraham. God spoke to him many years before. He said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Many years before Sarah ever got pregnant. But Abraham walked in faith and believed God, and that was what he spoke. I will be the father of many nations. God spoke to me. It's going to happen. And because he believed God, it was set in motion. Here's what I want to do. We're going to pray in just a moment. I want you all to stand with me.